Hi, how are you doing? Is the sun out where you are? As I look out my window, there's one little cloud effortlessly gliding past a beautiful collection of trees as I record this. So I hope the sun is shining on you wherever you are. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to my podcast, Soundtracking, my professional pride and joy. I'm going to say it, and it's May already, but August is not that far away because um, August 2016 was when we launched. And the idea that we are going to be seven years old this year is crazy. Uh, but when I look back on what we've been able to do in those seven years, which is give you an episode every week, pretty much. Bar two, I think, Ben, if I'm not wrong. It's an amazing achievement because all we really wanted to do was start a conversation about film and music sometimes it's in depth sometimes it's a little bit more kind of surface level and it doesn't really matter we just want them to be interesting conversations so I hope you found at least some of them to be thoroughly entertaining I was doing some work last week actually just in terms of we're kind of looking to do a little bit of a a rebrand and a relaunch and just looking back at some of the things that we've done and I'm so proud of what we've been able to achieve in this past almost seven years. And also just that thing of listening back to some of the episodes, which I've had to do actually for next week's episode, because one of our guests on next week has already appeared on the podcast and he's a an absolute joy and wonderful human being to spend some time with. Just infectious, wonderful, positive energy. But I'll tell you about that in a bit. I've also been lucky that I've been along to see a couple of pre-release films. Uh, one thing that's coming up I wanted to draw your attention to is the 50th anniversary of The Wicker Man. I was really lucky that I was um, invited to host a special kind of celebration evening at Picture House Central in London, uh, which was a kind of pre-show ahead of the 4K restoration of the film. And we had the most incredible collection of guests, uh, which also included Britt Eklund, actual Britt Eklund, Willow, was there in person and she was fabulous. So what they're doing on the 21st of June, uh, there's a kind of nationwide uh, celebration of the 50th anniversary of the film. So if you just go online and search Wickerman in cinema, you can find uh, where it's near to you. And I think what's happening is the show that we made uh, at the kind of, I guess, the sort of celebration night has been edited together and it's going to go ahead of the film. So you'll see all those people talk about the film. Uh, Reese Shearsmith's there talking about how it's been an inspiration to him. One of the guys that was one of the musicians on the the score is there. He was also in the film. So it was just a really interesting insight into the film. Um, the director's sons, two of his sons were there. They're making a documentary. So it was just a real celebration. So I just wanted to get that in your heads. 21st of June, The Wicker Man will be released around the UK uh, for you to go and check it out. Maybe you've never seen it yet. So now may be the time. Also to throw forward to an amazing film that is coming out uh, towards the end of the June called La Syndicaliste, which stars Isabelle Hubert. It's brilliant. It's a true life story about this amazing woman. I don't want to tell you anymore, but there's just a couple of little recommendations for me to throw out your way. And also I saw the new little mermaid film this week, which I really enjoyed. But I'll talk about that at the end of this week's episode for a particular reason. But our latest guests on Soundtracking this week 
are two very talented women who've worked together on the music for A Small Light. Uh, it's a brilliantly told story of Meep Guys, who helped the Frank family and other Jewish refugees into hiding during World War II. Uh, Ariel Marks has provided the score, while Esty Heim, off of Heim, uh, worked on contemporary reversions of songs from the era with the likes of Sharon Van Etten, Angel Olsen and her sister Danielle. I came across it before I knew I was chatting to Ariel and Esty and got kind of hooked into it. And it's that thing where they released two episodes to start with and then you get an episode every week. So I've watched, I've only watched the first two actually. I, I didn't re- I didn't know about this woman and I'm really embarrassed that I didn't. So Belle Powley plays Meep and uh, her husband is played by uh, Joe Cole, who you might know from Peaky Blinders. Belle, I absolutely fell in love with when she starred in The Diary of a Teenage Girl uh, quite a few years back. And this has been a long time coming for her, I think, in terms of another opportunity to really show her ability. She's got amazing timing and her energy kind of just pours out of the screen, even though it's a little screen, it's a TV thing, it's not a film. But I highly recommend that you watch it. It's a National Geographic show that's on Disney Plus. So uh, you can either, I think, go on there and subscribe to Disney Plus if you aren't already and you'll get all three episodes that are up there at the minute. There'll be more to come, but there's three up there at the minute. So go and seek it out. It's wonderful. It's brilliant. And there's a really clever kind of contemporary air to the story, even though it's obviously, you know, historic and set in a certain period. Um, Another artist who provided a song for a small light is Kamasi Washington. And here's his twist on the Charlie Parker tune, Cheryl. Thanks so much. I was just saying to Ariel how much I absolutely love the small light. I just think it's absolutely extraordinary. I very much agree with you. I've only um, seen two episodes, I will say now, but um, I'm hungry for the next two on Monday. I was going to say, buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> I guess it's, it's kind of start at the beginning, I guess, with regards to how this project was presented to you. Because what's so wonderful is that you know, we have this fantastic score that you've composed and Esty, you've come in with this fantastic and brilliant and contemporary wave of bringing these old songs back to life and relevant to the story and the character and the situation. 
So where did the journey start for you both with regards to this project? Were you sent a script or how, how were you brought on board? I had met with Susanna on another project like six months previous and we had just stayed in touch and, and really connected. And um, when she was on boarded with this and they were starting to think about a composer, she reached out again and I was very, very psyched. Um, I did get to look at the pilot script and then several, I, I think actually I read, I did read all of the scripts and their treatment of it and um, like the pitch doc and all of their talking points and selling the show and what was so evident and amazing about it was just how different and modern they wanted to make it. I mean, I know these are, these are the answers we're all giving when asking about the tone of this show, but it's, it really just, it's an old story in a, in a through a lens we haven't seen before. Um, yeah. And they really, they wanted that with the music too. They wanted, they didn't want to go crazy anachronistic, you know, nothing completely outside of the palette, you know, just like they're staying, they're making modern flourishes in time sensitive, in, you know, historically sensitive ways. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's how, um, that's how I approached the music too. And it was really cool because everyone was on board with that from the start. Yeah, it's, it's so clever because that, I, I didn't know about her. We all know the story of Anne Frank, and but I, I had no idea about this character, about this woman, and the sacrifices that she she made for this family and for you know the other people involved in this story. Did you know her story? I did. I had I had heard her name, but I didn't know. I mean, her name was familiar to me, but I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Well, my entry to the project was I was just getting off of another project that I was doing called um, You're So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. <laughs> uh, and so I get, I listen, I'm as a Jewish woman, you know, maybe that's kind of the energy that I was putting out into the universe. It's my, you know, I'm, I'm doing music for these Jewish stories, whether they're tangentially Jewish or maybe that's my brand. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I got a phone call from Tony the executive producer slash creator of A Small Light. And the first thing he said to me was, do you know who Meep Geese is? And I was like, do I? And I'd read the diary of Anne Frank before even high school. There was a point in my life where I wanted to work for the Shoah Foundation. I, be I was really, really kind of, because I have wow. family, you know, perished in the Holocaust. And yeah. I have a very direct connection to that period of time, very much a part of my upbringing was learning about the Holocaust. So I knew Meep as a kid. I just kind of looked at Meep as almost like the older sisters that Anne always kind of wanted. Mm. And I don't know. I don't know. I know she had Margot, but it almost felt like Meep was kind of was kind of her connection to the outside world. As an older sister, I definitely connected to Meep on that level, like, you know, like, you know, talking about movie stars and, you know, I did that with my sisters and, yeah. you know, we kind of connected on like musicians and it was kind of, I, I weirdly always felt like a connection with her. I also felt a very, very deep connection with Anne. I lived around the corner from a church growing up and I would hear the bells, you know, every hour on the hour in the same way that Anne did um, when she was living in the annex. So in a weird way, I weirdly thought, I was like, oh my God, me and Anne are so similar. I was like an eight-year-old, like just being a total, like, 
I don't know. I don't I don't know what I was thinking, but I did feel a, a connection to her when I was younger. But when when Tony told me kind of the game plan for the music for the show, I jumped at the chance. I was like, these are all songs that I listened to with my Bubby when I was younger. And the idea of kind of modernizing them and not and like and like in a modernizing them, but like in a classic way, again, yeah. kind of to, you know, Ariel's point. I w- we weren't trying to like necessarily like make like the techno versions of like Charlie <laughs> yeah. Parker songs. Yeah. And the idea of being able to kind of put together like a ramshackle crew of people that I was just a fan of was really, really attractive to me. So, and I've said this before, I kind of wanted it to be like the best dinner party the best group of like dinner party guests that I kind of could put together. And I think I did that. I absolutely agree. I mean, I've only heard two of the tracks, um, one of which, I mean, your sister doing Doris Day is just genius. journey in terms of the song and who who could navigate the the emotion but also the musicality of those songs and deciding who were the right people to to fit in with those as well as people that you wanted to work with well I didn't necessarily pick the easiest songs (laughs) (laughs) like and so I knew that the the artists that were covering the songs had to be able to handle the material because these songs are you know, there's kind of some, there's a lot of vocal gymnastics. You have to kind of be capable and being able to emote. So when it came to my sisters are my best friends. So obviously, you know, I, Danielle was kind of one of my first asks, but that the song Till We Meet Again actually wasn't written in the thirties or the forties. It was actually written in the turn of the century for World War One. But I just thought it was such a, it had such a beautiful sentiment. And I thought for the pilot episode, Mm. the idea of like, till we meet again, like this is kind of until this is all over thinking of you, I'm pining for you. I'm, I'm missing you. And yeah. So, and, and making, making that decision was, was really easy. And I love that song. And I'd never heard that song before. That really was just a lot of research and listening to copious playlists and scouring the internet for like interesting songs to do and then does there because there there has to be a and there is a a beautiful synergy between that music the score and the diegetic music that's in the the show as well you know in terms of there's there are these are young people and they're there's they you know they go dancing and they go to 
you know, music is an escape for them and an expression for them as well through whatever they do. And navigating those three worlds and and there being a, a connective tissue between the three of those as well. Was that something that were you able to kind of collaborate on that or or how the the instrumentation of the musicality or because there's there is a con- beautiful contemporary nature to the, to the score as well like the when he says um when leaves character says um what i'm asking you is dangerous and it's got this incredible delicate instrumentation and then there's like reverb on the guitar and then there's cello and there's you can't put a time frame on on the score on the cues it's brilliant but will you talk to me a little bit about that journey of sonically how they would work together sorry that was the longest question no, ever known it's really to man <laughs> and, and thank you and i think like i'm so glad you touched into it this timeless nature of it because that's that is really something that i tried to do you know not trying to go too much outside of the time period of instruments that could have been available but um yeah. But also how to make it feel timeless and how to make this story feel like it, you know, it could happen to you or me. So the instrumentation, you know, Essie and I kind of talked about this on the For the Record interview of like the the war being at the time made everyone kind of scrap together their resources, right? And rash that to ration their resources and the, you know, the era of swing and big bands Mm. couldn't flourish in the same numbers and forces anymore and so ensembles got smaller and a bit more you know virtuosic and and idiosyncratic with themselves right and so with the score uh it was very big intention to not let it get too big so to not it was never going to be symphonic it was never going to be large orchestral forces but very much like the the intimacy i think of what you what you heard of there being five instruments in a room and playing, uh, you know, hearing every single button click and fret slide and breath and mistakes. So the messiness and the vulnerability of the music was very important to me to capture in the recording. And also not ask for like certain techniques, like for the cellist, Row, who's amazing, um, I never asked them to do like molto vibrato on anything. Everything was meant to be very delicate and raw and, mm-hmm. um, you know, almost more folk-like than classical. There's also that kind of, there's where um, where he says, take them off and it's, and then it kind of, uh, and it's kind of got this brilliant kind of almost like industrial train-like rhythm to it in a way as well, that cue. And it's kind of, it's slightly. T- it's obviously terrifying because you know you're well aware of of kind of what's going on, you know, out of sight sort of thing when it comes to to kind of trains and train tracks and what those journeys involve. And it's almost like the pressure of that is, and the knowledge of that is even like aware. And that kind of slight rumbling train noise as well, I found really, really powerful and and moving as well at moments. The storytelling through the music is is brilliant. Yeah, that was very much like the adrenaline and tension of the show was approached, meant to be approached in actually a much more contemporary way. So I didn't shy away from anachronistic elements like electronics or like just more extended techniques on acoustic instruments. So a lot of it is very, not ugly, but they're they're techniques on instruments that are very unflattering in a classical sense in many ways. So it's like, it is very, and some of those sounds were very industrial and just, just tension adrenaline based rather than like, you know, when I first talked to Tony and Susanna, it was all, and Joan, it was all about 
yes, there was this backdrop of this enormous historical event, but the minutia of, of these yeah. this story was important. And so um, not getting too swept up in the grandeur of it, but staying yeah. really focused in the in the present panic. Essie, just before you join us, we were talking, uh, we were gushing about Belle's performance in this show. It's so natural it's and so... It's just so believable and so brilliant. She's just extraordinary. I was saying that I sort of fell in love with her when she, she was in the diary of a teenage girl. I just thought it was like, bloody hell, who's this? She's amazing. And then I, I'm so glad that this has given her a real opportunity to kind of shine and show what she can do. Were you privy to performances at all in terms of, or, or was that, yeah, did this did so it influence at all in anything that you did? Well, I was going to say, I, I, I truly appreciate also, the way that Ariel, you know, there were moments that were reflected in the score, I think, that reflected Belle's performance of me in that, you know, she's really irreverent and funny. And yeah. there were moments within the score that felt not comical, but lighthearted. I think that that really, really helped again, modernize the show, but also to make it not as, I mean, the material is heavy enough. Mm. Yeah, but you know, to give it a little bit of a, a breath, you know, there were definitely moments where I was like, oh, "Okay, thank God, yeah, <laughs> this doesn't have, you know, doesn't have to be like doom and gloom the entire time because there aren't because you know, Meep was, yeah, I think she was just like a young a young girl who was just trying to find her way and stand up for what was right, and you can tell that there's like this almost like childlike energy about her, and I think that was definitely reflected in the score, which I really appreciated. I think Tony and Joan were very intentional about the that joy being everywhere and in your songs as well of uh, like the, the way you wrap up episode two, which is, you know, a very dark ending. But to have that song right after, I mean, all of these juxtapositions of like World War Two and tulips still blooming. Like Tony yeah. would say that like Amsterdam. We need to see the joy that was of Amsterdam before we. And there's light throughout each of the episodes, um, even as it gets darker and darker. I agree to your point, though. I didn't see a script. I was able to just jump right into the pilot. So I I came on, I think, a little bit on the, on the later side. So I had access to the first three or four episodes. Mm -hmm. And... I think like everyone that, you know, saw the pilot, I, yeah, I fell in love with, with the performances and obviously I knew the story, but again, the way in was very, very attractive to me. I loved that we were seeing this story that most people kind of hopefully know about through the lens of, of Meep. I really, really, I, I loved that, that that was kind of our way in. But when it came to watching the episodes and then kind of, trying to figure out like the way to because again like the the material from that period is so rich you have bebop you have swing you have everything before then right and one thing that i love kind of about that era is there's so many amazing covers of songs too the doris day song till we meet again is has been covered like 700 times <laughs> like one is a duet one that's just you know one singer but I knew, I, I really knew the artists, I think, if anything, before I even knew what songs I wanted to do. Amazing. I kind of put together like a wish list, dream list of the artists that I had been a fan of or just kind of wanted to 
you know, in my own evil, you know, <laughs> sinister way I wanted to be friends with. <laughs> um, and everyone that I asked was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. So I was very lucky in that way. And then from there, I worked with the artist to try and find songs. I would kind of, we'd go back and forth with song choices, playlisting, till we kind of narrowed it down to a song that number one would work for the episode and number two worked for for them and their artistry and the song that they were comfortable with. Um, and it was really cool to kind of be in the driver's seat in that way. It was the, you know, the other side of what I'm used to. I'm used to being, you know, on the artistic side. So being in the producerial driver's seat was very, very cool for me. I really enjoyed it. The other thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to make sure that the voice was the mm -hmm. focal point and uh, to really have that be the star of, of the song. Because <clears throat> again, I wanted, I wanted the people that were involved to really have, I mean, everyone from like Remy Wolf, like her voice is so insane. Her voice, I, I was sitting there just like in complete awe. Her voice is like insane. And, and then, you know, Natalie weighs blood, like her, the purity of her voice. When you smile, when you smile, the whole world smiles with you. When you're laughing, when you're laughing. Sun comes shining through, but when you cry. Sharon, like Sharon Von Etten, getting Michael and Furioli to be a part of it was also like so much fun. You know, again, like everyone's voice kind of perfectly lent itself to the song choices that we made, I think. The artists that I chose also had like a deep knowledge of music from that era as well. I don't want to set the world on fire. because this you know this journey that you're you know outside the band it's it's so exciting and i loved what you did with cha-cha real smooth i thought that was amazing i loved that film and i thought the score was it's it's so exciting to see this journey that you're kind of taking down this this route and i was wondering whether Thank it's you. it's something that kind of is um i know have you always wanted has this been something that you've 
you've always kind of had going, I really want to do that for a bit or try it or. I mean, I, our first EP was produced by Ludwig Gorenson and we, <laughs> oh, I know the, the God that is Ludwig Gorenson. <laughs> um, but we were working with him when he was still just, he hadn't, I don't even think Fruitvale Station had come out at that point. Like he'd been the composer for community. So we would come in between him composing for community and like trying to, you know, find time to produce songs for Haim. So I would sit there and see him, you know, compose in real life. I think that was kind of my, I mean, I'd never seen someone compose before. I'd only seen people in the studio making music, but never anything to picture. And I remember just being like, wow, this is so cool. Well, and just kind of geeking out because I was always a big fan of, you know, I've always been a fan of TV film. There was a moment in time where I thought I was going to be a film editor. I was in high school editing my friends' music videos. But I'd always had like a, a deep connection with TV and film and score for that matter. But not in, it wasn't until I saw Ludwig kind of doing it in real life where I was like, huh, that seems like fun. I would want to do that eventually, <laughs> you know? But yeah, yeah. I've had a really really good time doing this and and trying to you know again it's this it's an art form right it's not Mm. as being a musician there's a musicians and composers it's it feels like it should be oh it's like you know Mm. they should totally it's the you know easiest connection it's not it's very 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 different and i want to make sure that i'm doing the best job possible and furthering the art form I just want to do a good fucking job. <laughs> you know? Thumbs up from this side. Uh, <laughs> all right, you beautiful. I just noticed your gorgeous cello. Is that a cello in the back there behind you? This is a really but weird I, question, which has got nothing to do with what we're talking about or supposed to be talking about. But do you think you can ever be too old to learn to play the cello? No. Yes. You can't be old. You can't be old enough to play. I mean, you can't be too old to learn anything. I think, and and to your point, though, so I am a string player. I play violin. I can get around on cello. Some of the strings on the soundtrack are me, but a lot of them are uh, my fantastic um, string players, Jordan Martone and Ro Rowan, who practice eight hours a day, and it's their life. I mean, to Estee's, you know, point that there is a there is a choice you kind of make in music, and you can do both, but you only have so many hours in the day. And so I, my love of music came from playing, of course, at first. And then, um, but I also really, you know, I, I love giving it away to other people <laughs> to play. I, I, Esther, you've talked about this, the joy of um, collaboration and what that does to your composing brain too, is like you start making different choices once you get feedback from other musicians. And so uh, that, that was really lovely. But no, you should never feel like you can't. Arl, do you know the movie um, Hillary and Jackie? Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Edith, Edith, do you know? Yeah. Okay. Hillary and Jackie was a movie that my mom randomly, for probably because it's about two sisters playing music, but it's about a flautist and a cellist that are sisters. And the way that, I forget if it's, I think it's Hillary. Hillary plays cello, I think. The way she plays cello is with her entire body. And I I have to tell you, I think after seeing that movie, there's a direct correlation with 
seeing that movie and then the way that I play bass, 100%. Emily Watson. (laughs) Plays with the entirety of her her body and her being and she's feeling it. You can see it on her face too. You see it in her body. I was so deeply connected to that movie as a kid. I get I get chills just thinking about it. Emily Watson for me is one of those actors, performers who I don't know, she's just she's so everything you see her in, like punch drunk love, it's like yeah. oh my god. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like it was like, why am I not seeing her every, you know, every release sort of thing? Cause she kind of I, just is able to do it all. I agree. And her performance especially I mean, I obviously Paul Thomas Anderson, I love Punch Drunk Love. Her performance in Hillary and Jackie really, really stuck with me as a kid. And she's a cellist. And I guess, I don't know, maybe when I was a kid, I'd already started playing bass. I think I was probably like, I should probably be proficient in bass first before I even attempt to play a different instrument. But it's always kind of, I mean, I just think the cello is like, probably like, I mean, I literally like tugs at the heartstrings. I mean, it says Mm. that for a reason, right? And it's just such a magical instrument. And Ariel, rent it. I, I promise you, you, <laughs> you will truly enjoy it. As a, this as a, is, class. this is my, these are my plans for the night. <laughs> yeah, um, this is my Friday oh, it's night. It's like Thank film you. club. I love it. No, I have to say that there is something about the cello that I absolutely fucking love as well. And the cellist that I worked with, Ro, I think for some of, like, I think for the, there's a big sequence in episode seven. Uh, when the annex is being raided. And I think there, I got something like 35 tracks back from Ruro. I mean, a lot of this score is layered cello. So it's not, it has a very different, and there is violin as well, but I really mm-hmm. do focus on the full range of, of the cello. And that sounds very different than two violins, a viola and a cello. There's something right. about the size yeah. of the body that, that resonates and a high notes on a cello sound different than a high note on a violin. So yeah, like I cannot wait to highlight their work on that because it is a love a love note to cello for sure. I'm good online right now to sign up for lessons immediately. And <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I could chat to you both for for hours about this film. I'm so excited to see the rest of it as well, and it's something really special. And the collaboration of everybody's involvement in it as well uh, the sum of everyone's parts is just really something quite extraordinary and it's been a, a real joy to get to chat to you to you both about it as well and I hope we can do it again and talk about Shiva Baby as well Ariel just amazing work in that as well so yeah um, don't get me started otherwise I'll have you here for another another hour <laughs> anyway and um, thank you so so much for taking the time and getting up early for me as well oh, <laughs> thank you have a great weekend you too. much love ah. bye is a dream but in my reverie I can see that this love was meant for me only a poor fool never schooled in the whirlpool of romance could be so cruel as you are to me are as worthless as to me without you life will never begin to be so love me as I love you in my reverie
soundtrack to A Small Light, that is My Reverie by Angel Olsen, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Ariel Marks and Esty Hine. And my huge thanks to both of them for taking the time to talk to us. As I said earlier, A Small Light is available on National Geographic, which you can watch on Disney+. And at the time of recording, there are three episodes for you to get stuck into. Now, you can find plenty of interviews with female composers and musicians in our back catalogue. If you head to edithbowman.com, you can search for the likes of Isabel Waller-Bridge, Mika Levy, Amelia Warner and Dudley, to name but a few, Natalie Holt and many, many more. Um, So do go and just dive into our library. We'd also really appreciate it if you could follow us on socials, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and we've got a YouTube channel up as well which I'm going to stick a load of stuff up on. And we'd really appreciate you spreading the word. You know, we are a little independent podcast. We aren't coming out of a broadcaster or a big company. We really rely on you guys, uh, if you like the show, telling your friends and putting it out maybe on your own socials. So we'd really appreciate if you fancied doing that. Now, I mentioned at the start of the show that I'd uh, been lucky enough to go and watch The Little Mermaid, which is a reimagining of the 1989 Disney animation. I've actually just got back from uh, interviewing Rob Marshall. Yes, last time we spoke to Rob was from Mary Poppins and he's just a joy. And the legendary original composer of The Little Mermaid, Mr. Alan Menken. Now I spoke to them independently, so it's gonna be a nice bumper episode. Rob Marshall, Alan Menken, talking The Little Mermaid. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>